If you have your Bibles, why don't you open those to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. As much as we hate to admit it, we are a finite, limited people. We are not in control of time. We are not in control of energy and power. We aren't really in control of much. And I begin to think about my time and how I use it. And I'm assuming at some point in your life, you look at your time and how you used it and thought to yourself, man, where did the time go? And asking that question of ourselves consistently will cause us to be in places where we look at our own time and when we are invited to something, we're thrown off. We begin to have immediate questions of whomever has invited us. We're asked if we want to go to a party. Would you like to go? And we can't just say yes. We have to ask things like, well, what time does it start? When it is, when is it over? How will this affect things like practices? How will this affect things like school days? More, most importantly, how will this affect bedtime? How is this going to affect us? If someone invites you to a movie in this finite world that we live in, we ask the question, well, how long is it going to last? And if it's over two hours, we say to ourselves and to whomever is asking, no. We begin to process, begin to wrestle with what we do with our time and how our time works. And we are affected by that. We are thrown off by that because we're limited. When we're looking at the Lord's Prayer today, we see something that contradicts that completely. While we are a limited, finite people with limitations of our power and our energy and our resources. The God who we worship is infinite. He is not limited in any way, shape, or form. He has all power. He has all all glory. He has all reign, all rule. And he has invited us to be part of something that is forever. What if you and I realize this morning that we have been invited to something that is beautiful, that is powerful, that is majestic, that we would not ever want to end, that we would never have to look at our schedules and say, how is this going to affect me? What if we realize the depth of what takes place when God invites us to be participants in his eternal kingdom? Matthew chapter 6 is where we are, and if you've been with us for just a couple of weeks, you know we spent a few weeks in the Lord's Prayer, walking line by line through that. And we're going to read through the text today. I'll read from the Christian Standard Bible, and then we will say it together as a congregation from uh, the King James Version that so many of us are familiar with. Jesus told his disciples to pray. You should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Or I'll invite us as a people to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
when we have the central idea that we're going to pursue today is this, three words, everything is his. Everything. His kingdom, his glory, his honor. Everything is his. So we have to do a little bit of text work when we jump into this particular uh, verse of the passage because you may have noticed that it's not in every translation. It's in the King James Version. If you have a New American Standard Bible, then it is in the footnote section of that Bible. In other translations, it's in brackets or parentheses. But here in this translation, it's not there. If you have an English Standard Version because you were predestined to, it's not there either. It seems to be missing from some of these places. It's an old manuscript. It is not in the oldest manuscripts, but it was added. And the question that we then ask is, well, why in the world would you add this? So the letter gets passed from church to church after it has been written. It's copied. It's recopied. It may have been added to give closure to it. And the belief is that it was added as a close to the Lord's Prayer around the 3rd or 4th century, more than likely, for emphasis. It serves almost as a doxology. It is a closure. It is to declare triumphantly everything that has been said. And the, the beauty of it is, when you look at that, we are able to look at it and preach it. We're able to say it. We're able to teach it. Because those words are true. If it were not true, we wouldn't add it. Years ago, I was having a conversation with a youth pastor, and he had an intern. And if you don't realize this, youth interns know more than youth pastors. And the youth intern had dealt with enough YouTube videos that he knew more than his youth pastor, and he knew more than his pastor, and they were having a conversation about one of the places in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. In John 8, there's an, an added text that's there. And when you look at that added text, there are people who struggle. Do I preach this? Do I not preach this? Uh, John Piper said about the passage, you are able to preach things like this when they are true. They would not be there. They would not have been added to the text if they were not true. And this young man, who knew more than his pastor and his youth pastor, said to him, I, I understand what you're saying, but I disagree with John Piper. Here's my rule of thumb, typically. I just agree with John Piper all of the time. Over the intern who has just finished his acne medication, I agree with John Piper. Why can we preach this text? And why can we preach texts and trust that there is something to be confident in in regard to them? It's true, it's scriptural, and it reminds us of our place. It is true, it is scriptural, and it reminds us of our place. I never want us to forget that as believing people, we are connected to other believers throughout the history of the world who have prayed this. And all of it lines up with what scripture has been saying. So what takes place when you come across the phrase, His kingdom? 
Well, King, when you come to his kingdom in this passage, it throws us to the Old Testament because that's where we see much of the, old, of the Bible's conversation about kingdoms. Anything that we understand in the New Testament in regard to kingdoms has a bit of foreshadowing in the Old Testament because there's this idea of the kingdom of, of Israel, the kingdom of God that's right there. And there's a point where King David is praying... As he is about to build the temple, collecting the resources for building the temple, and there's a prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God as he gathers resources and makes preparation to construct the temple that his son Solomon will eventually build. King David, this foreshadower of Jesus, says this, and this is the, what we believe to be the, the starting point for this portion of verse 13. He says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty. For everything in the heavens and on the earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over all. So many believe that when the church was looking for a way to bring closure to what we see in the Lord's prayer here... This was the basis. All of these phrases are very, very true. That this is the kingdom of God. And that we, as believing people, have been invited to be part of that kingdom. Yet this passage, though we've been invited to be part of God's kingdom, it reminds us that it is not ours. It is a kingdom that belongs to him. As you walk through the prayer, every petition that you look at, everything that you see in this text, these are things that help the human, help me and help you to see God's work, God's way, what God is doing in each and every one of our lives. And what we can easily forget is that everything still belongs to him. It's all his. Maybe you've been at a point in your life where you had to borrow a tool and if you're a certain age and your parents live close enough, you'll go borrow that from your mom or your dad. More than likely your dad. And you'll get the tool, you'll go and you'll use it and then you return it to him. And now, I don't have a parent here so I'll call Jared or Greg Smith who live in my neighborhood and I'll bother them. I'll ask for whatever tool and then I'll go back and say, hey, I don't know how to use this. Can you come down here and help me? But there comes a point where I have to re return it to them. This Lord's Prayer, we've been reminded that everything belongs to our God, that everything is His. Everything, as, as the band sang about earlier... And here we come to this phrase with so much emphasis so that we will not forget that everything is His. Not only will we remind ourselves that everything is His, we can make our worlds about us. It's my time. It's my job. It's my friends. It's everything is His. Not only do we see his kingdom here, we see his glory present in the passage. 
When we look at the glory of God, it's a, a vast idea that runs through the whole of Scripture. As we have uh, worked through the idea of the glory of God here over the last six years, and even before when Pastor Brian was here, the idea of the glory of God is that God matters above each and everything in this world. That God is ultimate, that He is supreme, that God matters. And all of Scripture would line up with the idea that God matters. We see that in the book of Revelation when you look to chapter 5. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, also the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. I'm not a mathematician, but that's a bunch. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and every creature under the earth and on the sea and everything that was in them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Forever and ever, the, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders, they fell down and they worshiped. So on the front side, we have King David discussing for us the temple that he will build to honor God. And here in the book of Revelation, at what we believe and understand to be the culmination of all things, we see that everything comes back to our God. All blessing, all glory, all honor, all power. Well, how has that trans transaction been made? How can we participate in the glory of God? DJ Moroda says this, The way of our Lord, the, rather the way of our world, is to use power to gain glory. Have you felt that in your own life? If we look around and see the world in which we live, the way of the world is to use power to gain glory. To gain attention, to gain notoriety, to say that you matter. The way of our world is to use power to gain glory. But the way of Jesus is to give up power in order to share glory. So, before we can ever be participants in what takes place with saying that, that the Lamb is worthy of blessing and honor and glory and power, we have to see what Christ has done to invite us to that. What took place so that we could be invited to be participants in the glory of God? Right in verse 12, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That is our introduction. That is our entry point. That is where we are allowed to be participants in the grandeur and the glory of God. That's where we've been brought. So in a world that's so limited and so finite and so overwhelmed by the difficulties and hardships that surround us, would we see that God has invited us to something more this is the place where we enter in. It's the starting point that we would be people who could know God's eternal delight. That we could be people who bring not only satisfaction, but, but really honor to our Lord. That we would be people who know that God has done a work so that our standing before Him could be that as accepted. In the words of... of 
C.S. Lewis in his Chronicles of Narnia were reminded that wrong will be made right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. We've been brought into the eternal kingdom of God. His reign, his rule, his eternal delight. God delights in each and every one of us who are in him. And if you're not a believer, God still, when he looked, you were made in the image of God. Distorted by sin, nonetheless, he is inviting you to participate in honoring and glorifying him. He's inviting you right now. Right now. His honor, his glory, his power. Where do we see the power of God at work throughout the whole of Scripture? Where does the power of God make itself known to us as a believing people? Where do we see the power of God? Well, we see it in a person. We see the authority of God. We see God inviting us to this. Spy movies are back. TV shows about spies are back. Well, they were back until the writer's strike. And now they're on hiatus yet again. But Tom Cruise is back with his Mission Impossible movies. He is ageless thanks to plastic. Thank you, Dow Chemical, for your contribution (laughs) to the movie world. Spy movies are there. And you have these operatives who are working in the midst of darkness to undo that you and I have been invited to be representatives of God in a really dark world C.S. Lewis also said this enemy occupied territory that's what this world is Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed you might say landed in disguise and he is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage Jesus says it says to us that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth so even in the darkness Jesus reigns and he rules so you and I here on this in this world on this earth You go and you make disciples of all nations and you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, 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 I am with you always to the end of the age. So in those lonely moments, we remember that he's with us. As a church, I want us to be people who are celebrating that we are participants in the kingdom of God. That we are kingdom people. One word may be emissaries, but I want us to know not to miss that this kingdom participation is not just every time I come across a person who is not a believer, me making sure that I have memorized what I'm supposed to say to him or her. That's true, and it's, it's good. But we as a kingdom people cannot overlook the other places where our kingdom presence can be made known. When you read the Bible with your kid, that's kingdom work. When you tell someone that they matter in a world that is continually telling him or her that they don't, 
That's kingdom work. When a coworker asks you to pray or gives you an opportunity to insert a prayer, that's kingdom work. So pray because we are emissaries. You are representatives of Christ. You are a diplomat of God. Paul says that each one of us is an ambassador for Christ who has been given the ministry of reconciliation. So in the eternal kingdom of God, do kingdom work. We may say, Chad, it looks so dark, it's so difficult. Home improvement shows are are really popular. And there are two types of people who look at home improvement. There is the husband and there is the wife. The husband looks in, he sees the darkness of this vast expanse that needs to be painted and remodeled and reimagined there's the spouse who looks and sees all that it can be almost to the point where she can see what it is we as God's people cannot allow the darkness and the difficulties and the hardships of this world to cause us to miss what God actually has He's doing kingdom things. That he's not stopped. But you had the world so difficult. It's so hard. It's such a rough place to live. All the more we live as kingdom people. Not retreating, but advancing. Because the kingdom of heaven is always forcefully advancing. Am I participating in what God is doing? Because we are ambassadors. Tomorrow night, uh, as a church, we're going to get to celebrate together as a church family. This is a weird word to say about celebration. A budget. So, 7 o'clock tomorrow night, if you are a member of Grace Bible, we would love for you to be here and just hear what God has been doing financially at our church. The good things that He has been doing. Last year, it was about a month before this, I shared that we were, we were working toward paying off our building And I said, hey, this is not going to be one of those things where I put a thermometer on stage and we just measure up how much we've paid off. Because I don't think we can afford a thermometer and that would offset debt. So let's not buy the thermometer. Let's just pay this building off. So in the last year, I think the technical term is chunk. We have paid off a major chunk of the debt. And we want to celebrate that tomorrow. You get to hear about that, the good that God has done through you. As we are living to be kingdom people in this area, in Brazoria County, in South Brazoria County, at Dow Chemical and BASF and all of the schools in our area and every one of the homes where moms and dads live and they raise their children. We want to be kingdom representatives here in this world and we use our resources to do that. Because we're God's kingdom people. Let's not ever forget that. Well, what about this kingdom? Are are we missing? Are we overlooking? Are, Are we not going to see? Would we see as we evaluate our place as God's kingdom people, the good that he's doing here, and not miss it as he takes us to a place where we can look and say, this is fantastic because we've been invited to something bigger. We've been made part of something more. I had... Uh, years ago, Hope and I were... Uh, actually, they called me, this Christian school in our area, and I've shared with some of our church folks before, this Christian school called me and said, Hey, we're having our spring formal. We would like for you to come and speak. So I did a little research. 
in some Christian school scenarios, in lieu of a prom, they have a Christian speaker. So rather than being able to uh, dance with the girl or the guy that you love, you get to listen to me, kids. I put on a three-piece suit like I was going to give someone a mortgage. We went to the top floor of this building. And you could look out. And you could see all of Chattanooga and all teenagers who were standing stationary. You could look out and see the vastness of it. I didn't reign over any of that. I did not rule over any of that. I had no power over any of that. I was just given a place to see it. I was made part. The work of God and the kingdom that he has established and made known. We don't reign over it. We don't rule over it. We're not in charge of it. But through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, he has made us part. He has given us a place to stand and look out and see this all belongs to him. And I get to be here. We get to be here forever and ever. The Lord's Prayer is made up of numerous petitions and I would encourage all of us to see this as a tool for our own prayer lives. If you don't know what to pray, pray this. Don't just memorize it, personalize it. Apply it to your daily prayer routines. The whole of the Lord's Prayer. Let it set in motion for you what it means to interact over things that God cares about. Let it help you to see that his kingdom is going to come and that you've been made part of that. But what we can know is these petitions, they're not necessary in God's future. There will be a day where every believer, we no longer have to ask for God to meet our needs because he will satisfy all of them for us into eternity. We'll be entirely satisfied. All that will remain for us is to praise God, to enjoy his good rule, to rejoice in all the good that his power has achieved and to see, to see, to see the glory of God. Until then... We trust that the Lord is going to let that be so. It's appropriate for us to say to him regularly, consistently, God, I know that you have a better future in mind. I know that there is better coming, but I'm going to live in this world, in this life, as if I have seen that and tasted that and touched that and experienced that. Because God, I know, I don't just doubt, I know that I know that I know that your work in my life is a reality and that your kingdom is a reality. Amen is a unique word. It means lots of things. It means so be it. Or it could be translated, this is the way it is. One commentator said, it's, this is immovably true that his kingdom is forever on top of forever on top of forever. We know that. But we also know that there is a system of the world. And contrary to the system of the world is a system of Jesus. There's what our world celebrates, there's what Jesus celebrates. 
There's what our world values. There's what Jesus values. And there will be moments for us daily where we look and we see this doesn't look like a God thing. We exist in the former. We exist in the darkness of sin, a sin-ruled world. But we are part of the latter. We're part of the greater kingdom that is eternal. We're part of something that is so much more. My favorite Anglican, you may say, Chad, we don't agree with Anglicans. They don't agree with you either. Doesn't matter. So these two systems, they stand over against each other. The world's empire is like a well-lit room at night. The lamps, they're arranged beautifully. They shed pretty patterns. But they have not defeated the darkness outside. But the kingdom of Jesus is like the morning star rising. Signaling that it's time to blow out the candles, to throw open the curtains, and to welcome the new day that is dawning. Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. A better kingdom is here and waiting for us simultaneously. Let's live in light of that. Jesus, I thank you for these people. that you love and that you care for and that matter to you. I thank you for them. Remind us of your goodness. Help us to see that through Christ we've been infused with your grace. Just with your head bowed, I'll, I'll say this. If you're not a believer in this space, uh, we're about to take communion as a family to celebrate this eternal kingdom that Christ has made us part of. That's not a kingdom that you're part of yet. But Jesus has invited you to that. So rather than coming and getting this wafer and this juice, I want you to come talk to me about what it means for you to put your trust in Christ in his broken body and his shed blood if you're not a believer this juice and this wafer mean nothing but if you're not a believer what Christ has done on the cross means everything so I'm in the back right hand corner of the room if you're a believer in this space would you celebrate the kingdom that God has made you part of by taking of the cup and eating of the bread broken body shed blood of Jesus the hope the very hope of the world